Hello, and welcome to the Inclusion Solution Live podcast. My name is Gabby Gonzalez. I'm here in the studio live with Mary Frances Winters, our founder and CEO. And we have a couple of guests here today, actually a few guests here today, um, to help us with our ongoing conversation on one of our favorite topics, which is racial justice at work, practical solutions for systemic change, which is our new book. Um, in the studio with us, we've got Dr. Megan Larson, who wrote one of the chapters. She'll talk more about that in a bit, as well as some guests from the Ferrar Candy Company. We've got Greg Guidotti, our chief, or rather your chief marketing officer, uh, as well as Natasha Miller-Williams, Miller who is VP, Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. All right, Mary Frances, let's check in today. How are you entering? I am entering well. How about you? Me? Oh, I'm good. I actually, like I was saying earlier, I am literally checking in well because I've been sick for a little bit and I don't think I'm going to be coughing today. So, Well, Very that's awesome. what happens when you have a three-year-old, right? Yeah, <laughs> Three-year-olds exactly. bring, bring lots of germs into the household. So I am glad to hear um, that, that you are well. And uh, Greg, how are you checking in today? I'm checking in. It's It's been a long, fulfilling week, but I'm excited for our time together ahead. Okay, thank you. And Natasha? I'm checking in really good. I'm excited about the conversation. All right, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So um, we are going to get started. And Megan, I wanna ask you about your chapter. We, we've talked lots about your chapter over the, over the months as you, were, as you were developing it, but disrupting the racist narrative in at marketing and advertising is your um, chapter title. And tell the listeners a little bit about you, your background, and then why did you wanna write this chapter? Thank you so much, Mary Frances, and good day, everyone. Um, as, as Gabby introduced me, my name is Dr. Megan Larson, pronouns she, her. I'm the Vice President of Marketing and Business Development for the Winters Group. Um, I'm a mother, a wife, a lifelong Midwesterner. I'm a Gen X millennial right on that cusp, uh, a bookworm, a lifelong learner, and uh, I have over 20 years of experience in marketing, mostly business to business in technical or sort of industrial spaces. And for most of my career, my teams were either myself, a one-person show, or one or two additional people. Always been small teams. Um, I would be no surprise for anyone in marketing. Usually there's little to no budget, incredibly high expectations, and very little support. Uh, all this wrapped up in this overwhelming sense of urgency to perform. I will preface this by saying this was all before I joined the Winters Group, of course. Um, working here has really proved out in practice that business doesn't have to be as usual uh, to be successful. Uh, I was really honored to be asked to contribute a chapter to Racial Justice at Work. As marketers, we have an incredible amount of power in shaping community and cultural narratives. Our work shapes what's hot or not, what's acceptable or desirable, what's controversial or edgy, and what things we are collectively supposed to value. Um, Historically, this is a power held by monocultural gatekeepers with a lens that's steeped in dominant cultural norms. Uh, for those listening, I am a white cisgendered woman and throughout too much of my career, I was the most diverse person at the table, uh, which is a problem. I was the, often the only woman at the table, another white face in a sea of white faces. And when I raised my hand to call out problematic systems and practices, the pushback was really severe. And if it's this severe for someone with my privileges, we have a lot of room to grow and build equity and inclusion and justice into spaces and narratives that have traditionally been closed off. 
we have the opportunity to use our role as visionaries and storytellers to create a cultural narrative that reduces harm to those who have historically been marginalized and to create inclusive and equitable messaging that normalizes a justice narrative. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring out in the chapter. Wow, thank you. And I think that you um, have done that. Um, I know that your terminology of the gatekeepers, who are the gatekeepers, it's a really powerful chapter as you as you share that. So thank you for that background. Yes, thank you, Megan. Um, Greg and Natasha, let's pivot to you too. Um, tell us more about yourself. So the listeners you know who you are and how did you come to this work? Well, first off, I, I loved Megan, how, how, how you, how you set, set yourself up. So I'm going to left off that a bit. Um, um, so my name is Greg Gadotti. I'm, I'm the chief marketing officer of the Ferrara candy company. Um, I'm a, I'm a full on Gen X with, uh, I think what that comes with all that edge and irreverence. Um, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a brother, uh, I'm a son, um, a lovely wife, uh, Paige and, and three boys, um, that are 18, 21 and, uh, and 23. Um, I've been in marketing like you um, my whole career. Um, and I've really had the privilege to work on some incredible brands, you know, from Post Honeycomb, Duracell Batteries, Kool-Aid, Capri Sun, Kraft Mac and Cheese, Oscar Mayer, and Lunchables. Um, these businesses have taken me all over the world from domestic roles to international roles to three years that I actually spent in, out of Singapore managing Duracell Batteries across Asia. Um, I came to Ferrara four years ago to help build and grow our brands and organization. Um, and, and Ferrara, and which we'll talk about more today, it's just a phenomenal organization with a stable of loved and iconic brands like Nerds, Sweet Tarts, Brock's, Trolley, Laffy Taffy, Black Forest, and Lemonhead. And, 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 we'll, and we'll talk more, but Sugar Confections is, is an emotional category that puts a smile on, on the face of you know, consumers young and old. And with our Ferrara portfolio, we get to share delight and smiles in every bite with consumers of all ages. Um, you know, past our brands, we, we do have a phenomenal, we're, we're curating a, a one community organization where we work to make a positive intent in all that we do, live in the values of empowerment, collaboration, agility, integrity, and empathy. And as part of that, um, you know, one community, I also sit as an executive sponsor of our, our Black Employee Resource Group, as well as our uh, diverse uh, recruitment subcouncil. So that's a bit about me, and I look forward to, you know, talking more today. I can go. Um, I like how we started as well. So I'm a mother, a wife, a daughter, a friend. I'm also a lifelong Midwesterner, specifically Chicago area. Um, and I'm now leading diversity and inclusion work that I've been doing for about 10 of my 25 years of, of corporate experience. And like many DE and I professionals, I came into this work by way of volunteerism. When I started my career, there weren't um, a lot of diversity officers. I actually didn't even know about this job when I was selecting a college major or going through the years of, of undergrad, but I was actually really fortunate. So Greg and I didn't actually cross paths, uh, but we kind of crossed paths on paper in that my, my first client when I started my career at Nielsen and Consumer Insights was Kraft and I was working on site at Kraft and Kraft mm -hmm. actually had 
a diversity officer in the late 90s, which was you know uncommon. And so I was working on site at Kraft and Kraft had a diversity officer and hence diversity initiatives taking place. And so I was introduced to an organization that had that muscle very early in my career and able to take that back to my organization and say, um, look what my client is doing. And that then um, led to some of Nielsen's earliest DEI work. And I just started as a volunteer, like many DEI leaders who are at least my age. And um, 10 or so years later, I entered DEI as a full-time um, a full-time worker and, you know, then grew up in DEI to start leading the work first at Nielsen and now at Ferrara. And I've been at Ferrara now for three and a half years, having a great time with leaders like Greg. Love that history. I had no idea about craft. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that. Um, both of you for those, those introductions. And we are honored um, to be your partner in, in some of your work and supporting you and some of the great work that Ferrara is doing um, as well. So, you know, this book is called Racial Justice at Work. So, Greg, I want to ask you, when you hear that term racial justice, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think when, when I hear the term racial justice, I, I go to the notion of equity. And I think the importance of embracing equity as a practice, both across, you know, across our organization and with our brands. And I think I talked about building one community at Ferrara. And with that one community, we, we're embracing that con that concept of equity across the gamut, how we recruit, how we train our teams, how we calibrate performance, um, how we celebrate uh, you know, with a consistent experience. So when you think about if you operate as one community, that's not just the headquarters. That's how we operate in each of our plants, how we show up in each of our sales office. So if we're going to celebrate the great wins that we had this season with Valentine's Day, we're going to have a consistent celebration across each of those, of each of those sites. Um, and I think past that, it really is this element of, you know, when we're, when we're recruiting, making sure we're taking the time to learn about the individual and drive on, you know, you know, metrics of, you know, what works from a having a growth mindset versus where you went to school, as an example. Mm -hmm. And then I think with our brands, it really goes to all elements of the marketing mix, you know, how we're, how we're communicating and connecting with our consumers where we are. And we'll, we'll talk about some, some of the things we're doing with our brands, but also how do we drive availability like having the right pack sizes that can be offered broadly across all classes of tra trade, whether it be from a from a small convenience store to a national convenience store to a, a mass merchant to a club. Yeah, thank you so much um, for making those distinctions because mm -hmm. what you just said, you know, if it's a small, um, you know, grocery store, yeah. if it's a larger chain, yeah. then you've got to have strategies that meet those needs. And so equity right. means equity means that you're tailoring you know, what you do versus an, a mindset that might be more about equality. Well, we just treat everybody the same. So, so right. one, you know, one um, Ferrara doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to do everything exactly the same way, but there's this sense of unity and sense of belonging, right? This sense of, you mentioned that you were talking about yeah. the recruiting, looking at the yeah. individual, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it is, it, and it's like, I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of credit that I would love to personally give to uh, Natasha, because as we, we you know, sat and said, who do we want to be as an organization? What's the difference we want to drive? And, you know, what's the change that we want to see? 
as an organization because I think there there's inherent power in diversity. There's inherent power in different points of view, and you want to make sure that people have that people always have that voice and feel comfortable having that voice because even you know as a as a young ABM recognizing my privilege, not I wasn't always comfortable speaking, and that was because of the environment in which I worked. Whereas you know, having that experience from, from the seat that I came from, trying to you know you know operate with that level consistent with our values of of you know empathy and empowerment. Um, how do you create a forum where you know n- no idea is a bad idea, and maybe the bad idea is a bad idea, but it could come could, it could be the start of a great idea, and you kind of just set it up that way. All right. Yeah, that's great, Natasha. Yeah, um, I I really appreciate everything that Greg just shared here. And when we established our DEI priorities, um, we had three. They were people, product, and um, purpose. And we really wanted to make sure that we were thinking about this through the lens of all of those areas, especially as a you know a consumer packaged goods company because we knew for sure that you know this this work could impact our workforce and that's largely what the people side is like mm-hmm. are we looking at things through the lens of making sure that we have a representative workforce like representative of this community um, where we live and we are you know, bringing in and retaining a workforce um, that um, that looks like where we can hire from mm-hmm. and so that's one example of you know justice to me. Mm-hmm. And then um, from a, a purpose perspective, I happened to join just a couple of months before the pandemic. And so we had our strategy launched before um, the global health crisis. Um, but then we were able to like lead during that health crisis with purpose as a pillar and to really select partners, community partners and organizations um, aligned with our values, the values that Greg Mm -hmm. just mentioned, such as integrity, collaboration, um, empathy, et cetera. And that's also um, justice as well, racial justice as well, because we wanted to make sure that we were directing both um, dollars and in-kind giving right here where the majority of our um, production facilities are located because our frontline workers were actually still working during the mm-hmm. pandemic. We kept those doors open during the pandemic. And then from the product perspective, which I know we'll talk about a li- in a little bit, it's it's really just how do we think about those partnerships with the brands and, you know, that messaging and, you know, not marketing on stereotypes and those sorts mm-hmm. of things, which you know, we, we really partner deeply with Greg's team and are, I'm really proud of what we've been able to do with that work. You both use that word empathy and uh, that is such an important word. That's one of your values um, at Ferrara Candy Company. And that um, that just speaks volumes because I don't think we can have justice without without empathy. So, yeah. so thank you for that. Yes, thank you both for sharing a little bit of your strategic thinking. Um, and also, Greg, to your point of, you know, just thinking about the, some questions, important questions to ask 
as far as like, what do you want to see? Um, mm -hmm. I want to invite Megan in here to um, kind of pivot back to your chapter. Um, so what are some important questions or factors that marketers should keep in mind that can, can, can help them actualize racial justice? Like what does that look like or what can it look like? Oh, thank you so much for that, Gabby. Uh, marketing is an art and a science, right? And a lot of times we fall back on what we know, what we're familiar with, what we've seen work before, or gut feelings. And this is part of how marketing perpetuates inequity. Uh, if there's a formula that works uh, to get, you know, get more eyeballs on your content or to get more leads, that's what we do. And we don't really dig a lot deeper. Um, it's all marketing and sales is about bigger, better, faster, cheaper, right? And we, there's not a lot of consideration historically for people or impact. So, you know, talking to organizations that are building in, building in that empathy and building in that pause is really important because this urgency that really drives marketing and, and sales is a real hallmark of the dominant cultural narrative. And it doesn't leave room for a space or a pause. Like if we're up against a deadline and we have to react, we tend to revert back to our default lens and cultural experience. And we don't necessarily have time or space to ask the questions or consider that impact. And when most of the people in positions of power to shape that narrative have the same cultural lens as their default, this is why we see the same harmful message being repeated over and over. In 2022, BIPOC representation on corporate boards hit a high of 12.5%, only 4% being Black. Um, in the same year, only six of the Fortune 500 companies had a Black CEO. In the entire history of the Fortune 500 list, there have only ever been 24 Black CEOs. And in marketing specifically, only 5.8% of the entire US advertising industry is Black. So we need to mindfully and intentionally create space for a more diverse slate of gatekeepers and decision makers and stakeholders from leadership down to our vendors and partners. So maybe in your role, you can't influence or impact who sits at that executive level, but you can look at your partners. Who does your photography? Who does your music, your web design, graphic design, video production, promo products, event planning, even catering? Who are you partnering with and what lens are they bringing into the narrative that you're creating? How do you source these vendors? Challenge yourself to look past a price tag or big names or you know historical representations and create an equitable sourcing policy where you intentionally seek out vendors of color for a more inclusive uh, narrative. And this can extend to who you're hiring on your team, right? Do you really need someone with an MBA or a graduate from a specific school? And I know, Greg, we talked yep. about yeah, no, I know, I know. Prep, right? <laughs> yes. So is your criteria too specific or narrow to create a pool of candidates uh, so they all look alike and have the same lens? Or are you bringing in diverse voices and being inclusive to really create a broader, more equitable narrative? So as marketers, we can challenge this idea of urgency. Customers are more savvy now, right? Like they understand messaging and your campaigns never really go away. Um, they're gonna live forever on the internet. So it's there's a strong argument to be made that being more intentional in our efforts, through that process, we can create greater reach and engagement with our audience because we have time to be more thoughtful and authentic. And it really makes a difference in regards to brand perception and reputation.
because there has to be a congruence between the policies and practices of your organization as a whole and the narratives that you're creating in your marketing and advertising. It's our role as marketers to demand that campaigns and messaging be authentic and ethical and not performative. It's our responsibility, not only to our organization, but to our community and to society as a whole to develop practices and messages and narratives that are honest, equitable, and inclusive. Wow, thank you so much uh, for that, uh, Dr. Megan. And what I heard was intention, yeah. the, the idea of pausing and asking questions, right? And so if you're moving so fast, there's no time really to, um, to ask those questions, but in the long run. So if you're looking at the short-term gain versus versus the long-term kind of uh, kind of sustainability and um, mm -hmm. making sure that, and that, that's what equity and, and equity and justice is all about. Who's not at the table, right? You gave some compelling statistics, right? Mm -hmm. Who should be at the table because who, who how are we being inclusive to uh, recognize who our, uh, who our customers are? Who are those gatekeepers? And yeah, so we're gonna hear now from um, Greg and Natasha about some of the things that Ferrara is doing uh, in the area of uh, equity um, and inclusion. So we can get some specific examples. Yeah, some of the things that we focused on as you were sharing some of the different me metrics were around being as transparent as we possibly could so that we could be held accountable so beginning in 2020, we actually started publishing our workforce data first, and then we, we shared some public commitments, 10 at the time, um, that we could put right on our website. We shared them internally first, and then we shared them um, right on our website so that anyone that is following us, whether that's customers, consumers, just general public would be able to see what are the things that we are prioritizing. And it did include some public commitments around how we're looking to advance um, BIPOC representation in, in our leadership, increasing BIPOC representation um, in our workforce and our production facilities, as well as relationships that we want to, to extend regarding university recruitment, and that included with historically black colleges and universities and Hispanic serving institutions. And then, then some of the other points that you mentioned, like supplier diversity as one example, um, just starting the path around measuring our spend with diverse suppliers so that we, at least as a first step, know where we are so that we could establish spending goals um, with all diverse suppliers across all of the different categories of spend that a company in our industry might have. We also set a goal around um, economic development so that we're providing BIPOC entrepreneurs and small business owners with business education and information and mentoring and skills-based volunteerism. Um, and we direct a lot of that through our DE and I council and volunteers within our organization that really want to just use intellectual capital as a way of supporting um, economic equity in our communities. And then, you know, other things as well, like you mentioned content creators and increasing partnerships with BIPOC content creators and agencies to <coughs> on these supplier diversity commitments as well. So that's one of the ways that we first just saw and believed that we could be um, transparent and ultimately be held accountable. And so we put all of that out there in 2020. In 2021, we came back around and said, how do we do 
um, you know, against these goals. And now that 2022 has closed out, and you know, in the next several weeks, you should see us follow up and say, here's how we did now, one year later, against these same um, commitments. And our employees have been really proud of that. And so have other um, constituents as well to say, you know, you, you met what you said when you were going to hold us all accountable. Yeah. I think just building on what Natasha was saying, I mean, I, th I think the element of creating a whole um, diversity council with different work streams, one is a procurement base, like how are you source, how are you sourcing, whether it be raw or direct or indirect agency partners and understanding what our baseline is and then putting a goal, because I mean, you deliver what you measure. So I think so that that's some of the, some of those elements. And, and so as, I, as we opened, it's like, I sit on you know the diverse recruitment sub council, so it gets to Megan like what what should our interview guide look like, and and then making sure you're getting different opinions in in, in terms of like because I have a I have I have thoughts on that and, and and I loved as you brought up you know the point about you know MBA requirements and which is, which are ludicrous and 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 you know it's not even the MBA but the school that you went to and. You know, if I'm gonna go back and this, is, this isn't a story about me, but it's like I was sponsored by my company to get the MBA that I did, and it was a, it was thought of as a stretch for me to go from a function to marketing, which we proved people wrong very quickly. But it was, but that was not, but it, but it really that that created an experience for me as someone with 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 great privilege to say like, what's going on here? Um, be, I'm proud of my University of Connecticut MBA as well, like to 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 the bone. I love it, but it but it was something that was that just even that that small perception that so that actually formed me as a leader in terms of like I take the step to look to the to the person to the experience to the behavior how they addressed a challenge as an example. So like that those could be ways to, ways to go. But to Natasha's point, making sure we look across all the all those fronts. And that diversity council is, um, you know, it it has members from the SLT down to newest individual contributors with equal voices in, in this front because, like, and another belief that I, you know, like those closest to the business um, should be the ones that are trusted most. So oftentimes when we're in a forum, that you know, I, I make a point of like I get uncomfortable with stuff that goes out into the marketplace from some of my brands, but it's like. One, I'm not the consumer. Two, and and to it, you know, to this element, is like, have you, have you, if you've thought about the positioning and you thought about who your consumer is, and you know, you you have conviction, okay, let's learn, let's go, let's learn. And I think that gets the elements because I, I often will ask of, of my team, and that's not even in in my function, but if if you know we have a a, a challenge and say, okay, if this were your company, what would you do? And then, and, and I think that's a pretty empowering question that you could ask of ask of anybody, and to give them because the, if this were your company, what, what we do? Okay, and then let's discuss that. Just was I, I got um, inspired, Megan, by some of the things that you said, and then I wanted to reinforce some of the stuff. Um, you know how we're operating from a brand perspective. You know, bringing empathy and equity to our brands. We're really doing that um, by linking our brands to business resources groups, and and so like based on the brand. It's positioning and the consumer, we've linked each of the brands to a business resource group. So, and this is how it drives some of our go-to-market. So 
you know, not only it's like it provides, you know, a broader opinion. So stakeholders within on the brand, um, you know, and, and also so in, and creating a, you know, giving people um, a stake, a stake in a stake in the result and, and the actions we're taking. So, you know, just um, I think our best in class example is, you know, the, the work we do with now and later uh, in, in communication and amplification platforms, harnessing, harnessing, you know, black influencers and recognizing the chew. So like if, if now and later is a long lasting taffy chew that's loved by um, um, African-American consumers, like what is, and there's this element of, because it's got that long, it, you know, it's, it's about like recognizing that grind and, and that optimism to, to get to, you know, the, the recognition of my work. So, that, you know, our whole platform is recognizing the chew and our element of, okay, I see what you're doing and I appreciate that and keep driving. So like that's one element and it's very tied into, you know, black enterprise and um, some, some of the, the work we're doing with universities and, and, and recruiting as well, but really seeing that as that, that authentic and there's a lot of user generated content that's authentic. And so that's like now and later. Um, sweet tarts, you know, partnering, a product that is, you know, both 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 sweet and tart. It's a it, across forms. Um, it's a it's a beautiful portfolio. Um, partnered with LGBTQ BRG and, and some of our social and digital activations. Until how do we how do we represent ourselves? But really, as well as like winning in our backyard and how Sweet Tart shows up like as in the in the Pride Parade in in, in Chicago. And I think finally, I don't know, Trolley. Um, our core consumer is a Gen Z gamer. Um, so there's that unique lens to how we show up um, with that level of non-conformist irreverence, whether it be with specific properties, but like, how are we, how are we driving that with Gen Z gamers? But then even more importantly, like we have with it, with the Hispanic consumer overlay, how does that reflect with that consumer? I think those are just a couple of examples of things we do across our businesses and our brands. You know, thanks for that, Greg. I did want to lift up something that you mentioned that was really, really important. Um, you said that some of the some of the promotions or some of the messaging that goes out in some of the brands make you uncomfortable, but yeah. you trust the messaging, you trust the people that are putting together and the authenticity. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that yeah. as a gatekeeper, you realize it's not necessarily about your comfort. Yeah. It's about the comfort of people that you're trying to reach. It's about your yeah. audience. It's about the yeah. people um, um, that are, are receiving this message. So I, I really think that's an amazing point to bring up of whose comfort are we centering and who is uh, important, who should be the focal point of this messaging. And I think that's really amazing that you recognize that. Yeah, it's it been, and every day I get farther away from my consumer base. I mean, we just gotta recognize that. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the element and that's, and that's the reality. And I, th I mean, I think some of that is, um, I, but I, but I do think that, you know, where we spend a lot, we spent the last, you know, 18 months really looking at each one of our brands because you brought up something, Megan, also about, about urgency and like this, this force to drive, you know, to, to, you know, to drive, drive the business. And I think what's a, and I'm not going to say it's because we all need to deliver what we commit to, but I think we take a longer view at Ferrara and I think it's a benefit of, um, you know, our, our ownership and how we're a private company. So, and, and so the commitment of this organization is to take, to take a longer view with intention about like, where do we want to be? 
So we spent the last you know 18 months really looking at each brand and digging into the role we wanted to play in the portfolio and the positioning of that of that of that business. So what's the insight that drives that business? What's the benefit that's unique? And what are the reasons to believe? And what who is your consumer there? So I think with that with that if we all agree to that, then you have a you have the right guardrail to you know enable you know your team to you know really leverage the consumer because like we all committed to this positioning we all committed to the, the role that this brand plays in the portfolio and and i you do we do have to trust and yeah i you know i i, I always recognize that you know there are brands that i am the consumer but there are many within this portfolio that i'm not and I, and so like i you know i could take my history of brands that I worked on, but again, you need the person closest to the business that's like grinding an IRI every morning, looking at customers, looking at consumers, they know, you know, Lemonhead, or they know Now and Later, or they know Trolley better than I can, because I'm at a I'm at an altitude where, where I'm looking at a portfolio. So if they're telling me something about the Trolley brand that needs to happen with this Gen Z gamer, I might not even understand it. And we'll say, well, explain it to me so I understand what's going on. But that, but it is like, but this, I, they, I really get back to the point of like, okay, so would you do this if this were your company? Okay, so then let's roll. Yeah, that, that is, thank you so much for that. Um, what I'm thinking of as you've been talking is the limitation of our own lens. And that's one of our key tenants that we use at the Winters Group as we do our uh, education and training that each of us has to recognize the limitation of our own lens. We are experts of our own experience, but we're not experts of someone else's experiences. Yeah. And from a marketing perspective, understanding the consumer, obviously, that's always been, right? But when you think about um, who, who, who has been prioritized in the past and what questions we haven't asked and who haven't we invited to, get, yeah. uh, to have those voices, um, I think is really, really important. And uh, just really, again, honored to be on this journey with you all because uh, you are looking at the long view, which is also very important. You are leveraging your diversity council and not just what the other thing about what how you are doing it is you're not just looking at HR, uh, pure HR issues. I know we talked about recruiting and uh, and all of that. And that's very important. But I'm saying that your council is is expands beyond just HR. You're looking at procurement. You're looking at marketing. You're looking at other functions. And too often this work gets sequestered just as a as an HR issue. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. One thing I would add to this conversation, which I think is important to know about our company, and it also makes us really unique, is that our company is U.S. seventy percent BIPOC, which is is very unique. Eighty percent BIPOC in the facilities, and about thirty percent BIPOC in corporate. But just when you're looking at the total organization, I've I've not worked for an organization um, with that aspect of racial diversity, but it, it makes us really unique in being able to leverage and lift the voice of our people into these conversations. And, you know, for years, even before I entered a full-time DEI role, we always heard the studies from McKinsey, diversity drives innovation, you know, and all of these different things, but being able to actually experience that coming to life by bringing the diversity of your own organization to the conversation for each brand, which is what Greg was describing with the alignment of each BRG to those respective brands 
is the opportunity to do just that when you have an organization that is divert as diverse as ours. And certainly, you know, our our marketers work externally on focus groups and innovation sessions, but we also have the opportunity to use our own workforce quite frequently for perspective and input into many ideas. Yeah, I think it's a great, and that's a great point because Natasha, I'm glad you went there because I was going to build on on that because practically, and in, in, when I got to Ferrar four years ago, we we actually didn't do this, but recognition of of our employee base and at the start, every employee is a consumer, and so like and it, so every employee will have an opinion. So like as we were looking at, um, we were looking at some innovations. Be careful with my words because I don't want to reveal, reveal too much in life because it's still an innovation. But it's but 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 working on an innovation that we were were, were targeting um, that was with with a brand that wanted to have an in, has it has an index and opportunity with um, with with an Hispanic consumer really going to a couple of our plants and actually having having sensory panels with those consumers to get to get an understanding of like you know is this profile right. Is it too much or too little? And and, we, and again, as you know, it did two things. One, it gave us it gave us um, an answer to the questions at hand, but it also created ownership within our employee base of innovation that we're working on. So again, a stake becoming becoming like actually material stakeholders in the work we're doing. Well, Greg and Natasha, it's very clear you value everyone's input at Ferrari, so. Thank you for that. Um, also, Greg, you're very good at your job because my mouth is watering now. You're talking about all the candy. <laughs> We're approaching uh, lunch too, but okay. <laughs> I think it's just you talking about lemonheads and trolley. Yes. Uh, so all of that, it sounds, it's so much work and it, this can be exhausting work. It can be fatiguing work. So we really want to know, we ask all our all of our guests, how do you fill your cup? Like, what do you do to make this work sustainable for you? Natasha, I'll start with you. Uh, I have a community of other DEI professionals that I meet with and talk to. We have a, a text group and we just exchange ideas. You know, we don't commiserate too much, but if we need to, we do. Um, and, and that group is a cup filler for me. And then also um, therapy. I actually just, you know, set on the path to find a new therapist because I had, you know, had a lapse in, in working directly with one. And I was just like, I went on a mission, like everyone in the household was getting a therapist. I was like, I'm getting an individual therapist, marriage therapist, my kids are getting therapists. Like I just, I, I completely believe in um, therapy um, to just work on your whole self. And so that's, that's the other one for me. Love that. Thank you. Greg, how about you? Yeah, I think for me, and you know, on the business front, I I really try to do everything I can to bring the outside in and kind of stay focused outside because you can get really hung up in within the walls of 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 your your office. I think I'm, I'm a cup filler is always meeting with customers for me, and you know, joint business planning or innovation reviews, and like I like we talked before, you know, I just came back from the National Confectioners Association. It was like the state of the industry. So it had, you know, 90 different different customers, 900 people, manufacturers, um, suppliers. And it's just great because it, it, it reinvigorates you in terms of like what's going on in the marketplace. I think another one, just connecting with consumers and 
Um, we, with our increased consumer spends, you know, we are spending more with, you know, learning with the consumers to the point of, you know, ethnographies going into consumers' homes and talking in their attitudes and usage. And then, um, and then just within the organization, just taking the time to talk and connect with people like that's, um, that those are all cup fillers for me. And I, I always, you know, I always like, I always want to be a teacher. The role I, I see myself as playing is really that element of, of there's an element where I'm all still playing, um, at, you know, but, but I'm doing a lot of coaching and I do a lot of teaching, teaching across. And it, it, that, that is a cup filler for me because I feel like, um, the legacy we put down is, is, you know, how you are able to positively impact and see people succeed. And then I think just on the personal front, um, exercising, which I don't do enough, but, but I, but I, through the winter, I mean, like Chicago, we forgot, I forgot to bring out like in the open of like, yeah, I'm full East coast for Connecticut. Like I'm proud of, I'm proud of where I, where I, where I came from. So I didn't, I didn't, I'm not a Midwesterner. So, but I will ride through the winter. I'll run through the winter here. Um, but then, and then also just, I think the other, the other thing is just traveling. And I think we really, with when my, when our three boys were, were little, just trapped, we, we had to have the privilege to be able to live in, live in Singapore for three years and be able to go to Cambodia for the weekend or Vietnam for the weekend. It just opened my eyes and I saw how much I grew exponentially as a, as a marketer and business owner. And I saw how much my kids grew just as kids. I mean, like going out, you know, all they would eat would be the four food groups of, you know, pizza, chicken, mac and cheese, and hot dogs. And then they came back and they'd eat anything and they would try anything. So I just that, that element of travel. So travel is a real cup filler, you know, being able to go to great places. So um, Natasha and I were talking, talking separately in this element of just taking the time to take care of yourself. I still feel like that's an opportunity area for me. And, and like in the calm app is great, but it's not enough. <laughs> oh, wow. This is, this is, this has been amazing. And I'm glad that you um, got in that, that cross-cultural experience uh, that you and your family had, because I think, you know, that is uh, so key to helping us to, um, for empathy, right. And for, uh, for cross-cultural understanding. So that is great. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both so much for taking the time from what I know are extremely busy schedules to be guests on this um, podcast. Thank you. Um, Dr. Uh, Megan Larson, our vice president of marketing and business development. And always thank you, Gabby, wonderful uh, co-host. I'm sure that our listeners will gain a great deal from this conversation. So we really, really appreciate you. And until next time, to our listeners, continue to reimagine racial justice at work. Thank you, Mary Frances. Thank you. We'll see you. <laughs>